Well, I'm glad you're here this morning. It is, it is just a great day to be here. Uh, I echo the sentiment of that song. I get frustrated just like everyone else does. You know, sometimes I think past, pastors are perceived as people who are like so much farther down the line in spiritual life than other people that people don't realize we go through the exact same emotions. I, 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 I was frustrated yesterday watching the game, you know. I, I, I get frustrated sometimes in traffic, you know, getting to the game or getting out from the game. You know, I, I, get, I get frustrated sometimes when life doesn't go the way that I want. I make a plan and something changes my plan. I get frustrated, but, but when I get frustrated, the Lord almost always kind of speaks in my heart. Maybe not with those exact words, but you've got me. Why are you so bent out of shape? You, you've got me. Why, why are you taking this so hard? You know, we, if, if we've got Jesus, really, why do we need more? Is he enough? I, I pray that he's enough in your life. I, I don't know about you, but I've always had a list of things that I've wanted to be. There are things that, 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 that I want to be, not, not a bucket list, don't, don't, I have that too, things I would like to do before, before I die, but, but I'm talking about things that I really want to be. It started really young for me, I wanted to be older. How many kids don't go through that? I just want to be older, I want to be old enough to be out of my mom and dad's house, I want to be old enough to drive, I want to be old enough to whatever. You know, so for me, when I was about sixth grade, I hit the the peak of my height. I was the starting center on the Niagara Elementary basketball team when I was in sixth grade. About eighth grade, I started desiring to be taller. So I wanted to be older and I wanted to be taller. As I got to be about 21 or 22, all of a sudden, uh, the, 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 the freshman 15 didn't leave. And I wanted to be skinny. So here I am. I want, to be, I want to be older. I want to be taller. I want to be skinny. But as you mature, your, your want list changes, right? And now I don't want to be older anymore. I want to be younger. <laughs> and and, and, and I, I, yeah, I still want to be tall. Uh, but uh, I think I'd just like to be back to what I used to be. But... Uh, and I still like to be skinny, so that's still there. And now I've added to that, I'd like to have, have hair. We all have these lists of things that, that we want to be, we, we, we want to have in our life. You know, when I was a kid, I had dream jobs. Any of y'all have dream jobs when you was a kid? I was going to be a taxidermist when I was a kid, so I saved up my money. I did. I, hey, I was from Western Kentucky. That's like right up there with doctor in Western Kentucky, but... <laughs> I wanted to be a taxidermist. So in the back of a magazine, back when I was little, they still had those advertisements in the back of a magazine. And it said if you send in like 25 bucks, they would send you a taxidermy kit. And so I saved up my money. I sent in 25 bucks and I got a magazine and a sewing needle. So I decided, <laughs> okay, I don't want to be a taxidermist anymore. So then I decided, okay, well, I, 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 we, me and my buddy, we were entrepreneurial in our thinking. And we decided, let's build a miniature golf course. I lived in a town of about 35 people. But we were going to make it rich with our miniature golf course. We built two or three holes and that changed. So, uh, 
then we decided we were going to be a, a, a private investigator. Or, or then I wanted to play professional ball, and that didn't turn out either. And when I was young, these things always seemed somewhat out of my reach. Refer back to the tall thing. But anyhow, most of the time, they just seemed unattainable. I just couldn't get there. Spiritually. Have you ever seen people who seem to be so much farther down the road in you in certain areas that you thought, man, I want to be like that. One time I heard a missionary who was a missionary, I think, to like the Congo, and they, they had packed up all their belongings in like a shoebox, got on a plane and moved over there, and I thought, man, what great faith. I wish I had faith like that. That's what I want to be. Another time, I... Uh, saw a person who was just incredibly generous, you know, I mean, they lived paycheck to paycheck, but yet they would, they would give everything they had to help out a neighbor. Or I've seen people who, who just seem to be so content, they're living with nothing, but when you talk to them, they act like they live in a mansion and drive a Mercedes, you know, they seem to be so content with their life. Or someone who's so hospitable, you know, they'll open up your home, and, uh, open up their home to you. And they just welcome you in. And it doesn't matter if they cleaned up or picked up. You're just welcome. These are the type of things that I want to be. I see people like that. And I desperately, I want to be that. But sometimes I think, I can't pull that off. But then I'm reminded of a passage of Scripture that we memorized when we were young. And a lot of athletes hang on to this. But today as we think about what do you want to be as a Christian... I want to remind you that you can do all things through Christ who gives you strength. You can be what God has called you to be. The next few weeks, for the next three weeks, we're going to take Philippians chapter 4. And we're going to start in chapter 4. And we're going to walk to the end of the chapter. And we're going to look at some of those characteristics that I believe we should all strive for as Christians. But what Paul does in this chapter is he gives us a little bit of a how-to. Here's how you get to be that type of a believer. Here's how you become what I think most of us want to be. So we're going to start off today picking up in verse 4. I'll tell you what's happening. In verses 1 through 3, two ladies in the church are fighting. The church is suffering because of it. And Paul says this shouldn't be this way. This is not what Christians live like. This is not how they're supposed to act. And so he starts laying kind of a model for here's what a Christian looks like. He says in verse 4, Rejoice in the Lord always. Have you ever met a person who seemed to embody this verse? I mean, just, they're always joyful. And, and you know what I found about people in church who have this type of joy? Everybody in church wants to hang around them. I mean, but this type of person, 7-year-olds love and 70-year-olds love. Teenagers want them to come hang out with them at camp, and adults love for them to be in their life group class. People love people with joy. Uh, this verse says that we are to rejoice in the Lord always, and this verse is not an option. It's a command. This is set up in a thou shalt fashion. And this throws a lot of people because commands in the scripture are usually embedded in our mind in a thou shalt not formula. 
Thou shalt not commit murder. And we're like, okay, I won't. You know, I mean, that's, that's kind of what we think of with commands. But here he says, thou shalt rejoice. And some people would say, man, that's way too happy to be a command. You know, God wouldn't command us to be, to be happy. Some, some legalistic, grumpy people would say, well, I have joy, but I'm not happy. <laughs> have, you, have you ever heard that in church? Yeah, I have. You know, I've got joy. I'm just not real happy. What? Well, Well, the word here actually means to be cheerful. The glad that we have in Jesus is to be in us at all times. And God calls us two times here to rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Do you know of any other command in Scripture that's so important that the Bible repeats it immediately? Rejoice in the Lord. In case you missed it, rejoice in the Lord. That's who we're supposed to be. Before we go any farther, I guess we need to clarify what joy is. Uh, It's slippery to some folks, but I think it's pretty easy. If you you have joy, you enjoy something. If you you have joy, you're satisfied in something. If, If you have joy, you're happy. Those are all a part of joy. I guess if I were defining joy, I would say it's that... That, that feeling, that state, that moment that's so hard to describe, but you know what it is. It's that feeling like when you won the game, not lost the game. It's, it's that feeling of warmth, like you, you've, it's rained on you seven of nine Sundays and it's sunny outside when you show up on Sunday morning. It's, it's that feeling that after the finals are over and you think you passed. It's that feeling. It's that feeling of, of you just know that everything's going to work out. Uh, now, we usually talk about joy as something religious, and we talk about happiness as something secular. That's kind of how we typically break that down. But I, I'm, I'm not sure there's such a big difference as we've made. People will say, well, I'm happy, but I'm not joyful. Do you know how dumb that sounds to non-religious people? I mean, that's saying, like, I like, I, you know, I, I love my wife, I just don't like her. That just doesn't make sense to people who... We kind of get that because we know what we're talking about. We're talking about joy is not circumstantial. We have this happiness in the Lord. Why should I need more? I have Jesus. That should be enough. That's what we're talking about. But people who don't understand that, when we say, well, I got joy, I'm just not happy, they don't get that. You see, I believe the real difference between joy and happiness is not so much the, the, the feeling... I think the emotion and attitude of joy and happiness are really, really similar. But the difference, I would say, between joy and happiness is the durability. Joy can hang in there no matter what's going on around you. Happiness is incredibly conditional. Uh, It's not the emotion or the feeling. Think for a second. I I talked about people who who we know who have that joy. What kind of characteristics do those folks have? Think for just a second. The people in your life who you've seen that just have that joy, what are their characteristics? Help me out. Content. They're content, okay? They smile. They smile. Yeah. Huh? I, they're positive, okay, yeah. Cheerful. Patient. Confident. Kind. Loving. 
Yeah, they're, they're all these things. They're, 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 they, they, they smile, they love, they seem to have peace. There's laughter and patience and kindness. and They're just a joy to be around. I love joyful people. They're fun to be around. Now, some people always seem to have it. And we've talked, you know that person. You're thinking of them. I mean, Mr. Gary is in my mind. Y'all don't know Mr. Gary. He's from one of my former churches. But when I'm thinking about joy, I always go to Mr. Gary. No matter what he was going through, he had this calming presence. And then we have other people on the other side of the spectrum who seem to never have it. Now, I'm not going to ask you their names. There's just no joy in them. And you know the truth. You either avoid them or their family. Right? <laughs> and you wish you could avoid them, you just can't. You know, that's a... But then there's the rest of us. Where, where, where we wish we had it more often, and we know we're supposed to, to, to have joy at all times, but sometimes joy seems circumstantial in our life. And we say it's just unrealistic to be joyful when... You've lost your job. Or, or it's un- unris- unrealistic to be joyful when your relationship's in a mess. Or it's unrealistic to be joyful when your health is failing or your plans change. But the verse we just read says, rejoice in the Lord always. Now, now the key to getting this is what the object of your joy is. The object of your joy is not your circumstances. It's not your health. It's not your job. It's not your relationship status. It's not whether or not you won the game. The key to getting joy is what this verse says. We rejoice in the Lord. We find our joy in, in, in our relationship with God. You know, we're in love with God. And so we, we have joy in Him. You remember when you were first madly in love? You can spot folks, if, you, if maybe you've never been there, you can spot folks who have been. I mean, they're just madly in love, and I mean, they, they, they change. You see the change in them. I mean, no matter what happens to them, they just don't care. You know, I wrecked my car. Okay. <laughs> I failed history. Oh, well. You know, lost my job. Yeah. But I'm in love. What happens is when you're in love, your relationship's greater than any other situation you face, so much so that, that everybody knows it. They say, well, what's up with him? Oh, nothing, he's just in love. That's what can happen with you in your relationship with Jesus. It can, it should happen. To the place where we fall so deeply in love with Him that we just have joy. And and I say it should happen because the Bible says it should happen. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Let your graciousness be known to everyone. Now, uh, anybody's Bible say something besides graciousness? Reasonableness? Gentleness? Considerate? Let your graciousness be known. The reason they have trouble translating here is it's probably the best translation is appropriateness. But that just doesn't work in English. Let your appropriateness be known to all. You know, but but think about that for a second. Connecting. Man, I'm in love with the Lord and that love gives me joy. And then he says, isn't that appropriate for you to act like that? 
Doesn't that just make sense? For you to be in love with Jesus so much that, that everybody can just, just see it? They see us responding in such a way that, that if they know we're Christians, they just say, yeah, you know, that makes sense. That's reasonable. And one day a few years ago, I was out playing golf. I was probably 32 or 3 at the time. We had moved to Hopkinsville a couple years before. A new golf course had opened. I was playing out there. I was taking the game way too serious. I was trying to still be good and hold on to glory days and that type of stuff. And, and I'd been practicing for a while, getting ready for the city tournament that I played every week. And I was out one afternoon all by myself playing. Things were going pretty well. I was about three under par at the time. I hit a ball that I duck hooked over into the water and I took my eight iron and I threw it almost into the water. And then I, it was like the, the Lord has never audibly spoke to me. But I heard the Lord. <laughs> and he didn't use the word, you're an idiot. But it was really close. <laughs> Only fools act like that. Don't you love me more than golf? That wasn't reasonable. I'm going to heaven when I die. God is with me. And I'm throwing a club over a golf ball, over a golf ball that went in the water and I'm playing by myself. Come on, that's not appropriate. Just write a different score down and go on, right? <laughs> let, let your appropriateness be known to all. So my question is for you, and I want you to grab a hold of this question. Are you reasonable? Are you appropriately gen, uh, 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 gracious? If an angry person comes your way, and you let them rob your joy. Does that make sense? If, if life doesn't go your way and you get bad news, do you still have hope? When, when stuff happens in your life that gets other people, do you, are you okay? Let your reasonableness be known to all. You see, our joy should be visible. We talk about I have inner joy. Joy was made to come out. It was made as an evangelistic tool. In fact, I would say joy is the best evangelistic tool we have. Are we living a type of life where people look at us and say, I wonder what it is about God that makes them okay? We meet so many people in life who are dissatisfied with everything. We need to be someone in life who is satisfied with Jesus, who's in love with Him. Are you living that type of life? Where people want to taste and see that the Lord is good. Would anybody want Jesus because of the amount of satisfaction or joy that they see in your life? If you're walking around your neighborhood miserable, people don't look at you and say, man, I'd like a double portion of what they have. But people are attracted by joy. I want us to be the most joy-filled people in town. 
If people would see more joy of the Holy Spirit, our church would be an incredibly attractive place. All of our churches around would be incredibly attractive places. And I'm not talking about faking it. There's plenty of that going on in churches. Plenty of that. Hi, I love Jesus. Come on in. Oh, come on, man. I saw you the rest of the week. I'm talking about living and loving Jesus passionately 24-7. I'm not talking about pretending so, so we can make our product look better. I'm talking about having a better product. Where we're madly in love with Jesus. Where there's real joy. And, 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 and let's just be honest. Real joy is not something you can conjure up. It's not something you can manufacture. I can't give you ten steps and say, if you leave here today, here's ten things you can do and you'll have real joy. I can't just say every weekend, go out and be joyful because it doesn't work that way. For you to have joy, God's got to do something in you. Real joy is the working of the Holy Spirit in your life. If you're going to be filled with joy, it starts with being filled with the Holy Spirit. And isn't that what Paul says here? Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Let your appropriateness be made known to all men. Why? Because the Lord is near. Now, there's a lot of interpretations of this, but let's start with the one that we know is true. If you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit resides in your heart. And He is near. That means that you can have what you should have because you have the power that can enable. You don't have to manufacture joy on your own. You can tap into the one who is joy in his person. Now another interpretation is any second the Lord could return. Now when I was growing up, that was used as a scare tactic. The Lord's going to return... Don't go do something you shouldn't do. How would you feel if the Lord returned when you were doing something you shouldn't do? I get that. If that works, okay, whatever. But you know what the Lord's return should be? A sense of comfort? Man, we live in a messed up world with messed up people. People hate people because of the color of their skin. That's crazy. We all bleed red. We all possess the image of God within us. That's craziness. And if you're trapped in that craziness, get out of it. You're going to spend forever in heaven with people from every tribe and tongue. Get over that. I hate hearing news of people using guns to hurt people they don't know. That's insanity. I walked into a convenience store last night and I thought to myself, you know, this is a dangerous situation. And it was in a rich neighborhood. Because I was thinking, somebody nuts could go do something nuts. But there's coming a day where that won't happen anymore. You know, I, I think about our world and... and How messed up our political climate is right now. Oh my goodness, I hate advertisements. (laughs) But there is coming a day. And when the Lord comes, whether He comes at the moment I die and I meet Him face to face, 
or He comes physically in the clouds to meet us and receive those who are still alive and remaining. When the Lord comes, it's going to be better. So when you get down because you hit the hooked golf shot or because you don't make it to the game or because your team loses or because your health fails or because your job is going away, when you get down because of this stuff, may I remind you that the Lord is near. And there is coming a day. He moves on to help us understand how we can have this joy. And, 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 and he, he helps us to understand that part of the reason you don't have joy is your life is consumed with worry. That's why Jesus said, let this stuff go. Today's got enough problems. Just enjoy the day that I've given you. Don't worry about tomorrow. Paul picks up on this theme here in Philippians chapter 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. Be appropriate and gracious. The Lord is near. And don't worry about anything. But in everything, through prayer and, and petition, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. What if we could walk out of here today and never worry again? Man, sign me up for that. You know, what if you could say, I don't care how big it is, I'm letting go because I believe that God is in control. But it's so hard. You know, and you know what I found? I found I worry about the little things more than I worry about the big things. I never worry about dying. One time Kelly and I almost died in the car. We thought we were going to die. She's like throwing stuff at me because it was my fault. <laughs> and I said, honey, do we really want to fight? And we're going to meet the Lord in a few minutes? <laughs> True? <laughs> I don't worry about the big things. I know where I'm going if I die. I know who's got my future. I don't worry about those things. But man, I can worry about little stuff to the point that I can't sleep sometimes. And it makes no sense. It's like going to the cancer doctor and saying, hey, you know, I really want to make sure that I'm healthy long term, but could I keep just a little cancer? That makes no sense. We should have joy because we know that our God loves us. And He's in control. And therefore, we don't have to be consumed with worry. But what do you do when you're overwhelmed and the joy starts to leak? You pray. You don't worry, but, but pray. Turn it over to God. Say, God, here's my problem. Or remind yourself that God is in control and that He's good and that He loves you. And when you do this and repeat this over and over, joy comes back. Have you ever noticed how you can come to church and you can focus on the Lord and a problem that's been so overwhelming seems to fade into the background, but then about 2 o'clock on Sunday afternoon it comes back? That's because you focused on the Lord. And you put your mind on Him and you reminded yourself constantly that He is big enough to handle what I'm facing. What if we didn't need the church to point our eyes to Jesus? <coughs> How different would our joy meter be?
And make these requests with thanksgiving. Thank you, God, that you're going to take care of this. Thank you that you love me. Thank you that you've helped me before, God. Thank you, God, that, that you've never let me down. Thank you, God, that I've worried about stuff that seemed a lot bigger that turned out okay, God. I know you've got this whichever way it goes, God. Thank you. What if, what if you could get there? Well, you'd find that the peace of God, which passes understanding, would guard your heart in Christ Jesus. I can promise you God does not wring His hands. And God does not get heartburn over tomorrow. I can have the peace of God because He's in charge. I don't have to worry about it. And if you have peace, you know what else you have? Joy. And I think he gives us another prescription for joy. We can, we can have more joy if we'll think about good things. I'm not talking about being Pollyanna. I'm just talking about thinking about good things. Haven't you ever noticed how if you think about good things, things you like, your attitude changes? If you mull over something unpleasant, it seems to create tension. You know, if I think about turkey and dressing, I'm in a good mood. You know, if I think about Duke, man, that could just ruin my day. So you've got to think about good things. Philippians 4.8 says, Finally, brothers, whatever's true, whatever's honorable, whatever's just, whatever's pure, whatever's lovely, whatever's commendable, if there's anything with moral excellence in it, if there's anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. Think about those things. And when you have that... When you have that thought in your head, whatever it is that's causing you anxiety, I think it's good to ask myself, is this honorable? Is this lovely? Is this praiseworthy? Look for the good. Now, if you're a skeptic, which I can be, or if you're a pessimist, or if you're a realist, you might be saying, oh, well, you just want me to lose touch with reality, Pastor. No, the opposite's true. I'm asking you to get a grip on reality. Regardless of how big you think your issues are, reality is they're nothing compared to the cross and nothing compared to eternity. Paul was stoned, left for dead, and he said, I consider these things light and momentary afflictions compared to what I am going to receive in in eternity. What I found is when we dwell on our problems, we glorify our problems. You know, when you stare at an object, you know, after a while, that's all you can see. You ever noticed if you get a new car, you never saw one of those before you went onto the lot, you bought that new car and you drive off and you see 17 on the way home? (laughs) When you focus on an object, it becomes all you see. Same with our problems. People look at you and say, man, you got a problem. Because that's all you're looking at. That's all you look like. Do you want to be known like that? That's what you're glorifying if all you do is focus on your problems. There's the guy with all the problems. There's the girl with all the problems. Paul says that's not worthy of your state of mind. You gave that to God and He loves you. He's your groom. Your father. Your friend. You gave it to Him. Go back to rejoicing. He's got it. This life is like that. I mean, and it's like that, isn't it? 
My goodness, my dad and I were arguing this week who's closer to 65, me or him. <laughs> I did not think that was a possible conversation. <laughs> you know, I mean, life goes by like that. You know, I mean, I still think I'm like right out of high school. Life goes by like that. And here we dwell on everything to the point that it consumes us. Well, preacher, I hear you saying you're supposed to be joyful. That's just not me. Okay, that's fine. Because what we're going to see the end of today and, and next week is being joyful is something we can learn. We, we, we can absolutely, 100% learn joy. Oh, maybe it's okay for some, but I'm not born with a happy type of disposition. Oh, yeah, but these passages say that you can learn it. I don't say this out of need, but I've learned to be content. I, I know both how to have a little and how to have a lot. I've learned in all circumstances. I've learned. You know, Paul tells them, do what you've learned and seen and, and, and received from me. And peace of God will be with you. And finally, I just want to say to you, for those of y'all who never seem to have it, I don't care if you're 80 or if you're 8. You can have joy if you're saved. The Bible says, I am able to do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Four things to take home with you this week. Number one, joy is your choice. You, you need to accept responsibility and quit blaming others if you don't have it. Number two, pray when worry starts creeping in. This is not going to be a one-time prayer, and God, why didn't you fix it? It's going to be an over and over. Right now, I'm dealing with something in my life that is a little thing in comparison, and I'm having to pray over and over. Today, I feel much better because last night at about 3 in the morning when I woke up thinking about that thing, it had something to do with the peppers on the pepperoni pizza, or the pizza I ate too, but, but it always coincides with worry. You know what I had to do? I had to pray again. God, I know you have this. God, I know you have this. It's okay, God. Thank you. I had to pray. You, well, Pastor, I prayed and then I worried again two days later. Well, of course you did. You're not there yet. Prayer is about relationship anyway. And if prayer drives us to joy and we continue to pray and it continues to cause us to talk to the Father and trust Him... God allows us to go through this cycle so that we can continue to lean into Him and understand my help comes from the Lord. Amen. Number three. If you could do anything from this message today, go to that person who is joyful that you know and ask yourself why. And if you don't know that person, find somebody and ask yourself why are they joyful and I'm not. And learn from them. And then number four, I, I, I can't leave without telling you, if there is a God who loves you so much that he will let his son die on the cross for your sins so that you don't have to die but can have everlasting life, if there's a God who loves you so much, who knows what a mess you are and continue to be, that he doesn't give up on you but gives you new mercy every morning, if there is a God who loves you this much, 
then I encourage you to remind yourself every day that He loves you. And that should bring you joy. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you so much for your word and the truthfulness of it. I thank you, God, that you love me in spite of my my heart that grows weak sometimes, my mind that worries. I thank you, Lord, that your love never fails. Oh God, I ask this morning that you would help us to be people filled with joy. Lord, may we turn over our lives to you because you care for us. And may we follow you as people who know that our lives are in your hands. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.